0: and we'll read uh, chapter 2. We're going to do things a little bit different. But we're not going to begin in verse 1 today. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But let's read the first 12 verses of chapter 2. And we'll kind of do it like maybe if you're watching a movie, you know, and you they have a scene that really makes no sense. Then the next scene, it says 12 years earlier. Or, or two days earlier. So you realize, oh, this is what you know, they're going to show you how all this happened. So we'll do that. We're going to read where Ruth meets Boaz, and then next week we'll start beginning to uh, get to that point. But in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, who was uh, her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let us go to the field to glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. So, that was according to the law. Poor people could go to a field where they were reaping it, and whatever was left over, whatever the reapers missed, they were they had access to. So, and and so they were, you know let's see who is favorable towards us. So she said, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is a young Moabite woman woman who came back from with Naomi from the country of Moab. And when they, you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, Let all that all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, for a full reward to be given, a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Stop there, did see it. Well, there's a few New Testament texts that help us understand how to uh, interpret Ruth, not just Ruth, but uh, since Ruth is a narrative, uh, there's no theolog- overt theological things being taught. It's just a narrative, a story about Ruth and, and Naomi and, and Boaz and so forth. There's a few texts that help us understand how we are to approach these types of uh, books. Luke 24:27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, Jesus is, is inferring that in all the Old Testament, which were the scriptures, there's something to see of Jesus Christ. Uh, there will be something about Christ to learn in Ruth, not just in type, although the, the beauty of Ruth is the type seen of Christ in Boaz and uh, the church in Ruth. But uh, also, Old Testament narratives are giving us how history comes together to produce the Messiah. In other words, I've said this before, some time ago, so maybe for those who were not a here before, the study, one of the reasons why the study of all the Old Testament is important to us New Testament Christians is because we are studying our history. This is not just the history of Israel. It is certainly that. But it's the history of God sending the Messiah through Israel to redeem us. So, as we're studying our history, how the one that we must be joined to to have eternal life and that we're going to be with forever came about. So it's not just, and a lot of people I think have missed this, they, they think the Old Testament is really just about Israel for the most part. And uh, they don't realize, no, this is about our salvation and our future as well. In First Corinthians 10 11, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on the end of the ages has come. So, we will see uh, that not only is this a historical narrative, and we'll see an example of Christ, an illustration of Christ, but there's spiritual edification, because we, in these narratives, we see God interact with people and doing things, and there's theological, uh, things to learn as well those who think that they know exactly what God is doing in his providence have to be treated with a little suspect uh, because God's working in us in our lives in this world through the circumstances of life are we often don't know what what he's doing and why he sent these things right sometimes it's unfolded to us sometimes it's not but in Ruth, we get an example of how God is working in the lives of people in a, in a providential way. So there's a, there's a good, and we'll get into that in, uh, later on. Also, Romans uh, 15, 4, for whatever was written in for, former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. So we know that there are things to learn here. That are important, 2 Timothy 3 16, of course, all scripture is breathed out by God as profitable for teaching. So reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And this is obviously referring to the scriptures of the New Testament, but primarily in those days, scripture was the Old Testament. So even the Old Testament, as we begin to see, as the New Testament interprets it for us, we can find reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that profit in the many ways that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So we're learning things that affect us spiritually that cause us to grow in the Lord. None of the characters saw the big picture of how the events of their lives were involved in bringing the Messiah about so that the grandson of uh, or the great grandson of, of Ruth and Boaz Boaz with David, King of Israel, who, who, uh, you know, so, you can see here, uh, through that line, was going to come the Messiah. They didn't understand any of that. They didn't know that was going on. Nor did they see how all this illustrates Christ's work. And this is helpful for us, because our lack of understanding of why God brings difficulty into our lives does not mean then he doesn't have a perfectly good, perfect good reason for it. So, Boaz, Ruth and Boaz Naomi did not understand what God was doing, the greater picture. But because we can study this and see that there was a plan God was sending all these things for, we know then that that is true of us. There's no haphazard, uh, things with God. So we can be faithful to honor Him and to look to heaven in our times, uh, in, even in our times of ease, uh, and, and we can look at life now as not our time of ease, but, but later on as a time of ease. In other words, God is working in us now, and that will often be through difficulty. <clears throat> but we, we learn from texts like this that, well, that's okay, because the rest comes later. The rest comes in heaven. And it won't always be there. And it's text like this that helps us understand that. In fact, we have much more life to So as we learn from their lives we apply this to the revelation of as a whole that we have in the Bible. We should even do better. But this is part of our learning. Ruth is not like the book of Romans written to reason through basic doctrines of our faith, but it is very theological. Theology basically means the study of God. We can generally use it as a study of the Bible, but of course the Bible is what reveals God to us. That's what it's all about. And there's certainly, so while it doesn't list certain doctrines like Romans does, it's all about doctrines, because it's all about God working in providence and God bringing about the Messiah. So it's a historical narrative that continues to unfold God's existence. Plan, but it does it here at, in a substory that illustrates, in one way or another, many of the same things that the book of Romans teaches. Now, can anybody think of a book that we've already studied since I've been here that does a very similar thing? Remember, uh, not, uh well, I think the first year I was here, we went the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned once, and yet it's all about God working, right? And uh remember that time when the king woke up, and couldn't sleep, and so what he do? Well, he started to read some some uh, official documents, and realized the injustice that was done to Mordecai. And so, just by getting up one night, where we're being told that well, nothing's happened by chance, he got up. God didn't allow him to sleep, and God led him to those papers. It was all God behind the scenes doing all those things. And that's what we're going to see here in the book of Ruth. So we remind ourselves of its place in the historical narrative of the Bible. In Judges we learn that there was a time in which people are running around wild in their sin not obeying the Lord. Everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes, and those people need a king to guide them. And so here we see God preparing to deliver them from themselves and sending them a king. First of all, a King David, but primarily because there's a lot of kings who came after David that were not very not good, and that basically people it ended up devolving into the same that they were in Judges. But ultimately through that king, the king, the perfect king, who was going to save them from their sins, and so in light of this, the final verses of Ruth then remind us of this, its historical place in chapter 4, verse 18, which is the book closes. It says, Now these are the generations of Perez, Perez father of Hezron, Hezron father of Ram, Ram father of Abinadab, Abinadab father of Nashon, Nashon father of Simon, Simon father of Boaz, Boaz father of Obed, Obed father of Jesse, and Jesse father of David. So what it says it's telling us this is why we are reading this book, among other things. This is where David came from. And we saw in you know, Judges that this is the third narrative, they call that definitely had trilogy. So, to help us see more than just history uh, in this book, there are some key words and concepts throughout the book, such as kindness, and kinsman redeemer which are two of them those, those are two of the main uh, thoughts and, and words that are used in this book for instance we uh, kept on reading chapter 2 verse 20 Naomi said to her daughter-in-law may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead you know often Ruth is referred to as a beautiful love story, and you know I think to some degree that's certainly true but as we read it, we see that the love story isn't really about two people falling in love. Uh, what we see here is Ruth in desperate need, and Boaz falling in love with her. If I use her falling in love, and I think what a great example of our own salvation, because it is we God loved us first. Uh, we didn't love God; He loved us, and so Ruth out there leading. Trying to exist, and uh, Boaz sees her and sets his affections upon her. I bet we read enough of this in our, the first 12 verses to see. Boaz asks about her, he goes through and says, Okay, look, from now on, only my field, nobody else. Everything you need, I'm going to take care of. So, what a great picture of Boaz as he sets his love upon Ruth and brings her into his family, right? And that is the essence. Of the book of Ruth in a, a spiritual sense, of the, of the, as we see Boaz is the type of the Lord, and our kids can be right and so we'll talk about that a little more in a moment. So here is Ruth alone and helpless, in need of someone who is rich to come to her aid. Now let's bring the narrative of of people's lives into contact with the doctrine of God. In other words, one of the great, and I've already referred to this a little bit, one of the great lessons here is God providentially working in our lives, not just in our salvation, but we know that everything that happens, lost or saved, everything that happens in the universe is God providentially working out his plans, right? And so we saw that, I don't know if anybody noticed that, but if you been through the roof before. Perhaps you've already heard this, but in chapter 2, verse 3, she, you know, Naomi sends her out to glean, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, what is theologically, if we're reading it from a human standpoint, what is theologically incorrect about that verse? Is a verse there's a word that stands out happened right they, she happened to be in Boaz's field and we know that no she didn't just happen as if she got up one morning and in her own autonomous free will, Jesus, I'm gonna go with this field, you know, and then she maybe she's headed for Boaz's field, to the other field. Ah, I like that better, or you know, whatever. No, she didn't happen to get there. The Lord directed her there. But that word happened just drives it home that well, no, actually, it's not. It's not happened at all. From our standpoint, it, it, it appears that way. Every moment of the day seems somewhat coincidental. Things just seem to happen without any rhyme or reason often. Uh, I just happened to come down with a cold. Uh, our business happened to downsize and I happened to lose my job in the process. I happened to run over a nail and get a flat tire. You know, there's a sense in which, humanly speaking, we have to kind of live in that world to a degree. We know that, we know that God has directed all those things, but they happen. And so what, the the issue is, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to live in this world? And that's what we're seeing in Ruth. So when you read a phrase and you this phrase, and you learn how all this is going to work out for Ruth, it appears that the writer is actually pointing out that she didn't just happen to be in Boaz's field. The last verse that we read of the book, right? Well, it turns out that this God is this all along because Ruth and Boaz were going to end up having David be the great great grandparents of David. Hmm. And so verse three is actually letting us know that God doesn't do coincidences. You know, like um, you watch a cop show you know, about every other cop show, there's a coincidence and one cop says to the cop, I don't believe in coincidences, right? Because when you're studying those things, when you try to figure out crying, the crime, coincidences usually aren't coincidences, right? Well, God doesn't do coincidences at all because there are no things that just happen to happen. Because God can't be sovereign if there's things out there going on that He didn't know about because eventually that's going to affect everything. <clears throat> and so if God was dependent on Ruth and Boaz being there at this moment purely because they decided with some supposed uh, autonomous free will to go to that field that day, he wouldn't be able to accomplish anything because it, 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 he doesn't know that Ruth's going to end up at that field unless she is acting out in his eternal counsels that he is working things to the way he wants it to happen. And of course, you know the, the, the Arminianist type of answer to this is well that God looked ahead and saw what everybody was going to do and makes a plan accordingly. Well, who's in charge? You know, who's in charge of the universe if God is merely reacting to what we would do instead of causing all things to happen as the Bible so clearly says that he does? God is orchestrating all this. There's a deacon in my church in New York who every time he gave his testimony pretty much without exception, that I think. Or was talking about something going on in his life. He would use the word orchestrating. God is orchestrating this. He he can see God orchestrating. I like to use that word, right? But that's exactly right. God was, uh, you know, a, a conductor has all these different parts that he is bringing together to produce a symphony or some beautiful piece of music, right? And that's what God is doing in a much grander scale. But it, it, the, the, But the, the thing was, he he understood that in his life, when when things were happening, even bad things, he always was quick to say, he knows that God's doing and, it, and he's okay with that. and he, he he he's he's he can be content because of that. And I think that's exactly what the lesson we want to learn here. Another thing that we should be able to identify with is the total obscurity and the commonality of the people involved. Right? These are people who lived in an obscure town at this time, an obscure town in Israel. Uh, Boaz was pretty wealthy, but Naomi and Ruth were as destitute as you could possibly be. And for the most part, God's people have never been people that the world knew about. And, and that's just how God worked. That's kind of Background of what we're seeing in First Corinthians one, right? You know, the, the world knows the name Moses. Maybe Charles Haddon Spurgeon; a lot of, of people might know him. But even I think if you think about the seven and a half million people—probably uh, most of them don't know who Moses is, but certainly not someone like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, and that's how it has been. You know, there's, there's, there's a few things, people in the Bible that, that maybe a lot of people have heard about, but by and large. You know, we in our world, we, we think, well, who doesn't know who John MacArthur is, John Piper, uh, scroll, uh, you know, and, but if you walk out and talk to the average person, I don't think they would know any. who you're talking about. And that's how it always has been. I, I mean, I think a lot of people in America might know who John MacArthur is, but only because of the political stuff, what he did with COVID, during COVID, right? If you say, well, what does he believe? You wouldn't have a clue. And they probably hadn't heard of him before that. And, and and the reason I'm saying it, my point is that none of us are too, uh, should belittle our lives and, and what God's purposes that He's working in us. Because, well, who am I? I'm nobody. That's who God saves. First Corinthians chapter 1, right? That's who God has always saved. And while some might reach a little level, level of God is using obscure people in the Old Testament. He by and large is always using obscure people. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that my life doesn't matter. What's going on in my life doesn't matter. Or when you are destitute, when you are alone, when you are in, in trouble, that nobody knows. Because obviously God knows God's doing something. I don't know that there's anything more important than understanding that outside of the gospel. I remember hearing I uh, heard uh, I was up with uh, the Al Shabbed puppets and John Piper was there. He said that a past the first thing a pastor needs to really get hold of is a doctrine of suffering. And I and I thought that's absolutely true because it, it's a it's a doctrine of understanding the providence of God. If you don't understand that you have little to offer the people in their Christian life. And so it's a great encouragement to all of us. So the theme of Ruth is redemption. Uh, the word redeemed, redemption, redeemer, occur 23 times in Ruth's 85 verses. And so Ruth really is a microcosm of the entire Bible, as it shows God providing a redeemer for mankind. And that's really what this is. And it's going to do not, not just historically, but in time. That's one of the beauties of the book. So is it a coincidence that the events of Ruth happen in Bethlehem, where generations later the true kinsman redeemer is eventually going to be born? Just as Boaz was, it says, this from Bethlehem. So the antitype, the fulfillment of a kinsman redeemer, is going to be born in Bethlehem. In fact, the contrast of Naomi from the beginning of the book with the end, and her situation from the beginning versus the end is rather obvious. And so in not just Ruth, but especially Naomi, we see, I think, a picture of ourselves because Ruth, Naomi, Naomi, uh, let's read, first of all, verse chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, see, see her situation. Remember, well, it says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth and Moabite her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of um, I'm not reading really verse, verse 20, not 22. Sorry. She said to them that she entered, and she comes back to Bethlehem, and, and we'll see here, she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, she's come back destitute, because a woman without a husband, without a caretaker was headed for starvation. So as she meets her old friends, in Bethlehem, she says to them, "Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara. Where have we seen Mara before? This is a little trivia. Look at Exodus. Where they came to the waters of Mara, and they were bitter, and they had put that branch in there to made them sweet. Call me Mara. I am bitter." Because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me, so that's the, that's us, right? We we are uh, in a mess, and uh, she's being brought low she, to the point she knows she needs to to the Redeemer. And so, look at uh, chapter four, verse fourteen. Then the women said to Naomi, "So it's, it's kind of the same group, the same women talking to Naomi, but now Naomi has." In Ruth, a caretaker, right? Ruth being married to Boaz, that she gets the benefit of that. And she's got a grandson, that's kind of the context here, she's got this, uh, grandson now, Obed. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And so, uh, let's read down through verse uh, 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid, her on, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, for he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So where there was death, as she lost her Naomi lost her husband and her two sons, the Lord has brought life. She now has a grandson uh, born to her. Where there was bitterness, the Lord has brought joy. Where there was emptiness, the Lord has brought fullness. You know everything that Naomi lost, everything that we lost in the fall, the Lord has has supplied that to us and then some, right? There's also a picture of Ruth being brought into the house of Boaz so that she has provision and protection. Just a couple of verses here that, that remind us Kind of show this in a spiritual application. The light dynasty. How precious is your steadfast love, O God, The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your life. And you give them grief, the rivers and your delight. 64:4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. And again, this is Boaz choosing Ruth. Ruth is just looking for anybody who could be his neighbor. brings her into his house. Boaz brings Ruth into his house. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. So you can see there. The application as Ruth was brought into the house of Boaz, we are brought into the house of uh, Jesus. There is an obscure, well, I should say obscure. Uh, chapter 16 of Ezekiel, we don't have time to read through it now, but I would be you to go read that sometimes. It is a graphic picture that explains why the Lord always Uses Israel of spiritual adultery and so forth. And in it, the Lord passes by. And it's an illustration, it's a, it's a parable of the Lord explaining what Israel has done in rejecting him. And he says, I passed by one day and I saw you. You were a child born to Canaanites, obscure, under a curse. You had been cast out as a baby into a field to die. You were still bloody your a, a, a adulterous still was passed so you had just been born you were bloody and dying and I passed by and had compassion and I cleaned you up and I took care of you and then you reached the age of, of, of adulthood I married you and I, I, I gave you beautiful clothes and I adored you and made you beautiful and you know so Israel had become the spouse of the Lord as it were and then he says the then you took the beauty that I gave you, and you went out and started boring around. And you would sit, and you, you had, you were in the high place of Israel. Every, every passerby, uh, you would call to come, and, and, and commit adultery. And, uh, so he said, the very ones you committed adultery with, I'm going to have them come and destroy you. And so it's just this graphic, you go and read it, a graphic, uh, account of how Israel abandoned God. I well, want you to notice something, because remember in Ruth that, uh, Naomi told Ruth that, uh, in the night, find out where Boaz is sleeping and Peter, go and spread, uh, your skirt over, uh, him, and I think, I think his blanket put it over you, his, 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 cloak over you. And that that was, in a sense, asking him to, uh, fulfill his um, his redeemer duty. Basically, it's a marriage to the law. But notice what it, it says here. When I passed by you again, I saw behold you at the age of love, and I spread the border of my garment over you, and covered your nakedness, and made my vow to you, and entered into a covenant with you to the Lord God, and you saved life. That's exactly what's going to happen in the room. Only we're going to find that there. That Boaz is a near relative, but there is a near relative so you has got to take care of that. But but basically, when when, they, when Ruth takes his garment and spreads it over her tomb, Boaz says, "Yes, I will fulfill my obligation to marry you, but there's something you've got to be taken care of first. So just just amazing uh, pictures here of relationships. Uh, well, let's just close by saying finally there are um, something for Jew and Gentile to learn. The Jews to the Jews this book should be a reminder that there's really nothing innately special about them about being a Jew. God did and can save Gentiles, and they are included in Christ's genealogy. Ruth is an example of that. Whatever special purposes God gave to the Jews, it was still up, it was out of grace. Remember Ezekiel sixteen. You were a Canaanite, a product of two Canaanites, and you uh, were abandoned to die, and I brought you in. God showed grace to the Jews just like he does all of us. Of course, By missing that point, they, they missed their Redeemer. But it also speaks to us as Gentiles, for Ruth was also a Gentile. And in fact, we know that there were three Gentiles who were brought into Christ's life to Ruth the male. Rahab, Ruth. you saw one in Genesis. Tamar, Right? And she was uh, Judah's uh, wife or daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah my daughter law, who my uh, and so forth. But both they all have questionable uh, Characters in a sense. Tamar, of course, committed adultery with her father in law. Uh, Rahab was a harlot. Ruth was a Moabitess, so she was uh, a pagan. Yet God chose mercy, right? So we, you can find yourself in any or all of those, right, one way or another. So even then, he was letting us know that Christ was going to redeem all men, not just Jews. The differences of mankind that we often make so much of. Uh, because someone doesn't look like me or act like me or whatever, God means nothing to God because He calls all men everywhere to repent. As we've said so often, there's only two kind of people in the world those who have come right to Christ and those outside Christ. So only as we identify ourselves with these two desperate widows, alone, unprotected, headed for death, in the need of a Redeemer, can we fully appreciate this book. In Christ, God shows kindness to. Sinners to outcast to the lonely to the needy, which is again one of the very things that we have seen as we go through through chapter one. Alright, any questions or comments? Alright, well I don't, okay, get but two the things every father we are thankful for this day love to us and pray that you would open up this book to us and well may it be just a, a great uh, book that explains the gospel to us and we, we never tire of hearing about how we are saved through grace through the merits of Christ alone and that we are undone that we have nothing apart from our gift and redeem our, our lives reflect the dependence that we have upon you, that forgive us where we think that we can take care of ourselves, or rely on our own wisdom, and help us to be a faithful and trustful people. In Jesus' name.